Open your Bibles with me to Acts 19. Our text this morning is Acts 19, verses 8 through 20. But before we hear the, the reading and preaching of God's Word, let's pray and ask for God's help to hear what He says to us. Let's pray. God of mercy, You promised never to break Your covenant with us. Amid all the changing words of our generation, speak Your eternal Word that does not change. Then we may respond to Your gracious promises with faithful and obedient lives through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Acts 19, verses 8-20 through 20. And he, that is Paul, entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Seba were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had pra practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Kids, uh, fifth grade and below, you can come up and join me. All right, guys. Do you know what this key is for? It's a key to the church building. It, it gets me into the church, and having it means I am free to come and go whenever I need to get in. I can go get into my office to study, or I can meet people here during the week just to talk, or I can come in early and, and get ready for worship services or our Wednesday evening classes. Without this key, I wouldn't be able to get in. And, it, yes, but with this key, I can get in even at night. But without this key, I would not be able to get in and enjoy this great building that God has provided for us. Now, that makes the key pretty important, right? I don't want to lose this. But does the key mean much without the building that goes with it? 
No, like, like this key here. Do you know what this key goes to? Neither do I. I found it in my desk here at the church, but it doesn't fit anything that I know of in this building. So having a key, but no building to go with it, it's not much use, is it? Well, in a similar way, I want you to understand two different ways that we talk about the gospel, the, the good news about what God has done in Jesus. Sometimes we say the good news that God forgives our sins. We say that the good news is that God forgives our sins because Jesus died in our place on the cross. That, and when we believe that good news, we, we're trusting in Jesus, we enjoy God's forgiveness. He forgives our sins and gives us a new and a right relationship with Him. That's one way that we talk about the gospel. And it's totally right to, to say that the gospel is, the good news is, the forgiveness of sins. Because being forgiven is incredible news. But at the same time, it is important for you to think about God saving you from your sins as being similar to this key, the, the first key that I showed you. Like this key, being forgiven of our sins is vitally important. But like this key, being forgiven is meant to help you enter in and enjoy something much bigger than itself. Like in the passage that we just read, we heard Paul, we heard a summary of what Paul was teaching people, what he was telling people about. It's a little different than a summary that we've heard before. At, at other times, the summary of Paul's message was, Jesus is the Christ. But here, he's talking about the gospel in a different way. He's talking to people about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is what the key of forgiveness gets you into. The kingdom of God is the place where Jesus brings you after He rescues you from sin and death. The kingdom of God is life as it is supposed to be. It's where relationships with God and with each other and, and even yourself, those relationships are being restored with the promise that one day they're going to be made new and whole and right forever. That good news, that gospel about the kingdom of God is much, much bigger than the good news about our sins being forgiven, like having, uh, like how this building is so much bigger than this key. Both are important. Both are gracious gifts from God. But when God forgives your sins, uh, uh, all because Jesus died for them, uh, uh, that's only the beginning of what God is doing for you. He is bringing you into His kingdom to enjoy a whole new life with Him and with each other. It's a kingdom that you can enjoy now, and it's a kingdom that's going to last forever. And because God gives you both the key and the kingdom, all for the sake of Jesus, your King, that's another reason why we call this good news. Do you believe it? All right, thanks. You can go back to your seat. Our text this morning is Acts chapter 19, verses 8 through 20. You'll remember that last Sunday we 
uh, Saul, uh, Paul uh, encounter uh, a small group of disciples of John the Baptist that were there in Ephesus. And this morning, we are looking at his ministry at Ephesus a little bit more broadly. If that was zoomed in on this one encounter, now we are looking at his ministry more comprehensively there in Ephesus on his third missionary journey. And you'll notice that there in verse 8, Luke tells us that Paul entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. So Paul is in Ephesus. He is uh, entering into the synagogue as was his normal pattern on these missionary journeys. And he is uh, reasoning and, and, and arguing with those who are there from the scriptures about the kingdom of God. Now you'll remember that we have previously considered this pattern in Paul's ministry. We've, we've previously considered what it means for, for Paul to consistently go first to the synagogue. We, we've seen how that reflects not only his love for his kinsmen, his, his desire to see his, his fellow Jews saved, but also his a deep commitment to that doctrine of justification by faith alone that Sam was talking uh, to the kids about. We believe that we are justified, that is that we are declared righteous with God by faith alone, apart from works of the law. And when we think about that doctrine, especially as we think about it in relationship to the New Testament, we, we often think that that doctrine uh, is, is focused on the reality that Gentiles can be saved. That's the mystery that, that Paul speaks about, that, that the, the Gentiles are included in the covenant promises. They too are heirs of the kingdom. They, they can be saved without converting to Judaism. They can be saved without uh, receiving circumcision or, or submitting to the Jewish law. And all of that, of course, is true. But Paul understood that not only did this doctrine of justification by faith mean that Gentiles could be saved as Gentiles, it also meant that Jews could be saved without renouncing Judaism. If they believed, if they received and rested upon Jesus Christ, the, uh, the Jewish Messiah, the long-promised Savior, if they called upon His name, then they would be saved. We know from the book of Acts that, that many Jews had not believed, that many Jews had even gone so far as to, as to be active opponents of the gospel. But that did not mean that the Jews were written off, that, that somehow the, the promises were repealed, that, that the, the promises were no longer for them. The gospel of justification by faith means that it is by faith for all people, both Jews and Gentiles alike. Circumcision neither counts for anything or against anything. The gospel is for all and for any who will believe. The gospel is offered to all people without distinction or partiality. Paul understood that, and that's why he consistently continued to go to the Jews as he, as he entered into these new areas of ministry. He did not write them off, but continued to proclaim the gospel to them, saying to them that you too can be saved if you will receive and rest upon Jesus who is the Christ. And so because we have considered that before, I don't want to say any, any more about that this morning. But we've also previously considered Paul's decision to stop 
going to the Jews or to stop ministering to the Jews, at least in a particular location at a, at a particular time. We, we've seen Paul do this before as well. We've, we've seen Paul minister in the synagogues and then eventually shake the dust off his feet because uh, they would not hear, they would not listen. When they demonstrated themselves to be hostile opponents to the gospel, we have seen Paul make the decision to, to move on, to begin ministering to the Gentiles as well. And, uh, and we see that here as well. So I'm not going to comment too much on that either. But rather, I want to focus where, where Sam was focusing with the kids. I want to focus on this summary, this, this summary statement of Paul's message there in the synagogue. How does, how does Luke uh, uh, communicate to us what it is that Paul was speaking boldly? He says that he was reasoning and, and persuading them about the kingdom of God. And that is vital. It's, it's essential. It's, it's different than what we've seen previously. As, as Sam was saying, previously we, we have heard Luke summarize Paul's message as, as proclaiming that the Christ is Jesus or that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the, the long-promised Savior. He is the one who, who has come so that sinners might be forgiven, so that they might be reconciled to God. All of that is, is gloriously true. But here, Luke tells us that Paul was speaking about the kingdom of God. And it's important that we hear this variation on Paul's message because it helps us to understand the full substance of the gospel. It is, of course, right. It is, of course, good to, to proclaim Jesus as the Christ. We actually saw Paul doing that just in the previous paragraph. Remember when Paul encountered these, these disciples of John and when he found out that they didn't really have a full grasp of the gospel, what did he do? He, he proclaimed to them that Jesus was the one of whom John had spoken. Jesus is the one uh, who, who John foretold. He is the Christ. John was not the Christ. He was a forerunner. He was an announcer. But the Christ was to come after him. And now Paul taught these disciples that Jesus is the one that John said was coming. But even in this context where he is proclaiming clearly Jesus as the Christ, he is, he is going beyond that to proclaim the full good news of the kingdom of God. And that's good for us as modern hearers to, uh, to hear because when we hear the language of Jesus as the Christ, it's easy for us to hear that as, as only the idea that Jesus is the Savior of sinners. In fact, I suspect that, that many of us here this morning if we were asked, kind of, what is the good news? What is the, the gospel? How would, you, how would you describe it to someone in a, in a sentence or two? Most of us, I think, would, would focus on this reality that Jesus came to die upon the cross to, to redeem us from our sins and to rescue us from the holy wrath of God. That's, that's the idea. Jesus comes as our substitute. He comes as the Lamb of God who, who takes away the sins of the world. And of course, that is true. But as Sam was trying to show the kids, that's, that's the key that gets us into a far bigger building. There's, there's more to the gospel. As the Christ, Jesus, yes, is our perfect priest who offers up himself as the, the perfect and once for all sacrifice for our sins. In him, we are forgiven. And having been forgiven, we are justified, declared righteous in God's sight. And having been declared righteous, we now have peace with God. But remember what Paul goes on to say. Having been justified and now being at peace with God, we now stand, we now live 
in the grace of God. We now live by his grace in this world. We are now his servants. And what is the work that he is doing? He is doing the work of bringing the kingdom. You see, God's plan of redemption was never uh, focused on exclusively saving sinners from this world. But rather, he was redeeming all things to himself through Christ. He was making all things new. He was restoring us as heirs of his kingdom. A kingdom that he is going to bring to earth even as it is now in heaven. This is why Paul says in his letter to the Colossians that we have been transferred from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of the beloved Son. We are now citizens and heirs of the kingdom in Christ. This is the, the full substance of the gospel. We are heirs of the kingdom and we are servants of the king. This is what Paul was proclaiming there in Ephesus. And this is what we need to recognize as the full gospel. Yes, the, the gospel is not the gospel if there's not the justification by faith alone. The gospel is not the gospel if there's not the, the forgiveness of sins. We cannot set those aside. But we have to remember that, that God has dealt with our sins so that he might bring us into his kingdom, so that he might establish us as citizens of his kingdom, that he might establish us as heirs of his kingdom. And he has taught us that we are to seek first that kingdom, and we are to pray for that kingdom coming, and we are to be agents of that kingdom even here and now. That's the, the work that we've been called to as servants of the king. That's the work that we've been called to as redeemed Sinners. We're not saved by works, of course, but we are saved unto those good works that he has prepared for us to do. And God has deemed that through those works, he will bring about the renewal of all things. When we think about the Christian life, we should not think about it merely in terms of the forgiveness of our sins, but we should think of the forgiveness of our sins as the beginning of our new life as servants of the King. And what we see in this text is that we can take on that work. We can, we can undertake the work of serving the king because we serve a God who powerfully works to accomplish his purposes. We can know that, that as servants of the king, we will, we will never be thwarted. We will never be frustrated. Our, our, our purposes will always be accomplished because they are ultimately his Purposes. We, we see this first in, in what happens when Paul is uh, forced to, to leave the synagogue. Notice what happens there. The second thing I want you to notice is the way that God's power is at work uh, uh, to, make us, to make it possible for us to effectively serve him, even when things seemingly go against us. Notice Paul is, is forced out of the synagogue because the, the opponents of the gospel there in the synagogue become hostile towards him. They become stubborn towards him. And so he takes his, his group of disciples, his, his class, whatever you want to call it, he, he takes these disciples and he goes to the hall of Tyrannus. Now we don't know much about this hall of, of Tyrannus, but uh, we, we assume that like many other halls of the day, this is, this is a place where uh, a teacher named Tyrannus, is that what his students called him? We don't know. Um, it's a word that means tyrant, uh, maybe not the most flattering word in the world. Uh, but here is this, uh, this teacher the, the hall, who uh, goes by the name of Tyrannus, who teaches in this hall, and Paul takes his classes there. And, and church tradition tells us that he takes his students there in the afternoon because 
Tyrannus would have been using the hall in the morning, that was the normal hours of study. In the afternoon when it was hot, that was a, a normal time of siesta. And so the hall would have been empty. And so here we see something like a, a church plant. Have you ever been part of a church plant that had to meet in another church's building? You know, when, when that happens, you, you meet in the afternoon. You, you don't meet on Sunday morning when churches normally meet. You meet in the afternoon because that's when the space is available to the outsiders. Well, that's what's going on here. Paul is meeting in the, the hall of Tyrannus in the afternoons because that's when the space is available. It's, it's less than ideal. We enjoy having our own building here at Trinity, but there was a time when we met in another church's building and we met in the afternoon because that's when the space was available. And, and none of us was sad to see that error in the life of the church come to an end. It's nice to have your own space, but that's not what Paul has anymore. He's, he's meeting in, in foreign territory. He's meeting in the hall of, of another teacher, a teacher who, who doesn't believe the gospel at all. He's not just meeting in the building of another church. He's, he's meeting in a, a, another building altogether. But notice what happens. Luke tells us that the result of all this is that, the res is that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Now, just as an, an aside, I, I want you to understand how to read that phrase, all the residents of, of Asia. I don't think we're meant to, to take that literally, as if, as if in every single person living in Asia at the time heard the gospel. You've probably heard a, a preacher say at some point, all means all, and they mean well when they say that. Uh, it just isn't true. Um, because really, the all means what it means when it's used in that language. And when uh, people in the first century use that language of all, uh, what they mean is that the, the majority, the vast majority of people in this area heard the gospel. We, we see this actually throughout the gospels. Uh, we, we see it when, when we're told that all the people in this particular town or this particular region went out to, to see Jesus. We're not meant to read that and say every single person without exception went out to see. We're saying that the, the whole region, all uh, most of the people, many people, a great majority of people from this area went out to see all, not a, a technical all. But again, that's not my, my main point here. I don't, I'm not you know, giving you a course in, in exegesis, but, but, but the, the point is that, that many, many people in the region of Asia heard the gospel because Paul was forced out of the synagogue. Now, we don't know exactly how that happened. But what we know is that God used the opposition faced by Paul in the synagogue in Ephesus to advance his purposes. That's what we're meant to see. Paul is, is forced out of the synagogue. He's, he's forced out of this, this perfect teaching opportunity. He's forced to, to start, begin meeting in the afternoons at the, at the hall of, of Tyrannus, and God uses it all to multiply his ministry. How often does... God work in such mysterious ways. I wonder what circumstances uh, have hindered you from doing the work that you thought you were called to do as a servant of the king. What is it that God's given you to do? What works has he prepared for you to do? And how often have you faced hindrances or obstacles to doing that work where, where God has seemed to make it harder for you to do what you think you're doing in his service? And you're like, God, why don't you clean up this mess? Why don't you remove these obstacles? Why don't you open the doors? Why are you making it so hard for me to do your work? Paul easily could have thought along those lines as he was forced out of the synagogue, he could have thought, oh, here we go again, God. Why don't you do something about that? You gave me peace in Corinth. Why don't you give me peace here as well? Why don't you make it easier for me to, to minister? 
We all have those stories of, of times when, when we thought we knew what God wanted us to do and God was making it harder for us to do it. I mean, just think about the, the past few years here at Trinity. I, I, I can think of things that have made our work harder. Rodney prayed about our our needs to do something about the uh, the, the lack of space we have in our, our building. We're, we're meeting in two services because we can't all fit in in one. We we need to do something about our our space delay. But you know what? We were on the verge of doing something right before COVID, and then COVID made it harder. COVID de- delayed our our plans for by many years. And then right in the middle of that difficult season for the church, when, when uh, we were having to deal with COVID and all the stress that came with that, my son got sick. And I, as the head pastor, had to spend two or three months in Nashville away from the congregation. Not ideal. Not ideal to be away from your congregation at any point, but especially not in, in such a stressful season, difficult time. And yet God chose to take us away right in the middle of all that. And then right on the tails of all of that, we have had these two uh, very high-energy boys come into our home. And, and Major and Magic have been with us for the last two and a half years, and, and much of my time and energy has been focused on them and, and not on other projects. And all those are good things. All those are, uh, all those are, are things that God has brought us through, but, but they were all potential hindrances. They were all potential obstacles, things that made doing the things that God, we thought God had called us to do harder. And the reality is is that every one of you could tell similar stories. Similar stories to the way that that doing the work that God's given you to do has has been more difficult because of certain circumstances. More difficult because of certain obstacles. What I want you to see in this story this morning is simply this. That whatever the obstacles, whatever it is that have seemingly hindered you, you can know that God is still accomplishing His purposes, not just despite those hindrances, but often even through them. God is doing things that, that we don't expect in ways that we can't imagine, but He's doing His things because that's what He always does. God's purposes are never hindered or or thwarted. We may not be doing exactly what we had in mind. We we may not be following the script that that we had written out in in our own uh, ideas. Your plans, your agendas may have been compromised. But God's purposes are never frustrated or thwarted. God does what He pleases all the time. So what does that mean for us? What does it mean for us to see God's power at work uh, in uh, Paul's ministry? What does it mean? No, that that same power is at work in and through us. It means that we can, with humility, do whatever he gives us the opportunity to do, leaving the results to him. You see, when, as Sam said in our confession of faith this morning, we know we don't belong to ourselves. We belong to the Lord. When you belong to yourself, you're responsible to, to identify your own goals and you're responsible to come up with your own strategies and you're responsible for the outcomes. But the reality is, is that we don't belong to ourselves. We belong to the Lord. And so we can entrust ourselves to Him and that means that we can leave the results in His hands. And we can do today what He gives us opportunity to do. 
If caring for these two little boys is what God has given me to do right now, that's what I can do. If, if caring for my son in Nashville is what he gives me to do, I can go and I can be there and I can trust that, that this is his church, not mine. And if, and if God sends a, a, a pandemic and, and, and a government shuts things down, we can, we can continue to serve him faithfully in the midst of all that. I don't know what the future holds. I don't know what obstacles are coming. But I know that God reigns. I know that he is in control. Therefore, I can leave the results to him. And I can do humbly today whatever it is he gives us to do today. It doesn't mean that we uh, don't think about the future. It doesn't mean that we don't plan. But we do so, we do so with a, a light grip and a, and a humble spirit, knowing that ultimately, while we serve, He is in control. And actually, we see the same thing in the, uh, the next scene in the story. Luke tells us that, uh, that as God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul throughout all of this, and, and you'll remember the, the purpose of those miracles. Why, why did God do miracles through the hands of the apostles? Why did God do uh, miracles uh, through his, his spokesmen? Well, precisely because they were his spokesmen. Such miracles served to validate the ministry of those who spoke with the authority of God. You see, God, when he chooses to speak through a human instrument, not, not as the way that he speaks through me as a, as a flawed minister, but when he seek, seeks to speak with his own inerrant authority through apostles and prophets, he always validates those prophets and prophets publicly before those to whom they speak. So that we're not left to guess, well, who speaks for God? We know who speaks for God. The one who speaks for God is the one whom God has, has put his stamp upon. And God publicly validated Jesus throughout his public ministry. God publicly validated his apostles throughout their public ministries. He's, even as he validated Peter, he also validates Paul. We, we see that. And this is actually the Old Testament pattern. God validated his Old Testament prophets in the same way. When someone speaks for God, God validates their ministry publicly. But notice these miracles, these miracles were extraordinary even by the standard of miracles. It's what uh, Paul says. He was doing extraordinary miracles. And what was extraordinary here is that uh, it wasn't Paul laying his hands on the sick and, and, and healing them or, or speaking to them and, and healing them, but rather handkerchiefs and aprons that Paul had used, most, most likely in his, his daily work uh, that he would be doing in the mornings when uh, the, the hall was otherwise occupied. These handkerchiefs and these aprons are being taken to the sick and to the demon-oppressed, and, and when they receive them, they are being healed. They're being healed. They're being delivered from uh, the demons. It's the same thing that we saw in Peter's ministry when even his shadow would, would cause those who were laying in the streets to be healed. These are extraordinary miracles, even by the standard of, of miracles. But God was doing these extraordinary miracles for the purpose of strengthening people's faith and, and, and uh, uh, assuring them that, that the gospel that Paul preached, the gospel that Peter preached, was his word. However, some misunderstood what was going on. Some saw these extraordinary miracles and, and mistook God's gracious uh, work for, for magic, and they, they thought they could get in on it. That's who these Jewish itinerant exorcists are. Luke tells us that some itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord. They, they saw that the handkerchiefs and aprons used by Paul were, were bringing healing to people. And they thought, well, there's, there's magic here. We can, we can get in on this if we just use the same incantation. And so they, spoke, they sought to invoke the name of the Lord proclaimed by Paul. Now, 
Luke tells us that these itinerant exorcists claimed a connection with the, the Jewish high priest. And that's possible, but it seems a bit dubious. These, these guys seem more like charlatans. They seem more like snake oil salesmen of a sort. They, they are traveling around claiming spiritual power and selling their services to the highest bidder. But when they came to Ephesus, they, they sought to, as in, take advantage of, of this Jesus whom Paul proclaimed because they saw the power of the works that were being done by God through the Apostle Paul. But their attempt to use Jesus' name didn't go so well. You've heard the story before. When they, when they tried to invoke Jesus' name, the demons scoff. Like, Jesus we know, and Paul we recognize, but who are you? Who are you again? These people had no faith in Jesus. They didn't know Jesus. They were just simply trying to use the name. And so, and so there was no power in their work. And instead, they were overpowered and, and beaten by the men who were uh, oppressed by these demons. Now, what would you think if, if you were there? What would you think if you were a member of, of Paul's uh, group of disciples. Certainly you would see this as a setback for gospel ministry. I mean, here is one who is, who is associated with the name of Jesus and they have been publicly humiliated. That can't be good. You, you would see this as a setback, would you not? You, you would see this as, as hindering the work of the gospel. Why is it, how's anybody going to believe now if, if, if the name of Jesus has been shamed in this way? And yet, look at verse 17. What does Luke tell us? Luke tells us that this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Somehow, in the failure of these charlatans, in the humiliation of these itinerant Jewish uh, exorcists who had wrongly sought to appropriate the name of Jesus, the greatness of Jesus was seen, the glory of Jesus was magnified. God accomplished His purposes even through the work of these charlatans. And as evidence of, of the, the reality that Jesus' name was, was extolled, look what happens. The, uh, the, the many of those who, who had previously themselves practiced magic come and they, and they burn their books. They, they acknowledge that, that there's no power in the magic. The power is in Jesus. It is Jesus' name and Jesus' name alone that is great, that is powerful. And we're told that the, the, the value of what was burned was some 50,000 pieces of silver. That's, that's a lot of money. If you think of a, a one piece of silver, most likely as, as a denarius, most likely as a one day's wages. If, if a hundred people came and burned their, their books, this is, this is more than a hundred people's daily wages for a year. This is a significant amount of money, but it's the sacrifice that they are willing to make because they know that Jesus is the King. That Jesus alone has the power. That their, their magic is nothing compared to Him. And so again, this, this amazing turn of events where, where God turns this, this humiliation, uh, this, this humiliation of those who are claiming Jesus' name into the magnification of the glory of Jesus' name. It's not what we would expect, but again, it ought to give us great confidence to know that our God's purposes cannot be frustrated. He does what He wills. He advances His kingdom. He establishes His church. He magnifies His 
glory in mysterious ways. And again, that ought to give us great confidence as we seek to, to minister and to serve in this age. Because there are many today in our context who, who wrongly appropriate the name of Jesus. You think of, of those who, who preach a health and wealth prosperity gospel. They, they, they claim Jesus' name for their ministry, and yet they are, they are preaching lies and they are causing Jesus' name to be dragged through the mud. Because they promise health and wealth in ways that, that are not delivered. Or, or we think of the, the white supremacists who, who claim Jesus' name for, for their racism, to support their, their racism. Or we think of the, the hate mongers who, who, who attach Jesus' name to their, to their hate. Again and again, we see people who are, who are claiming Jesus' name and then doing things that are, that are contrary to his gospel, contrary to his kingdom. And we, we have to look at that and think, oh, what a hindrance to gospel ministry. Why would, why would anybody listen to us now when, when Jesus' name has been associated with that? You ever thought that way? I have. I've been embarrassed. I, I remember when I served on the campus of, of UNCA, there was an a, a, a itinerant preacher who came every semester, and he always made my work harder because he preached hate and lies boldly on the campus in the name of Jesus. And I always thought, oh, what a hindrance to gospel ministry. Why doesn't Jesus you know, remove him from this campus? And yet, even though those things were going on, God was still in control. So our calling, our calling is to remain faithful. Our calling is to continue to speak boldly about the kingdom and to let God give the growth as He will and where He will, when He will. You see, we're not the king. We're servants of the king. We can do the work He's given us to do and trust that He will sit upon the throne and rule to the praise of His own glory. What we see in this text, this, this text shows us that the gospel is about the kingdom of God, not, not merely God saving sinners, but, but more than that, establishing His kingdom on earth and giving it as an inheritance to His redeemed people. And we see in this text that that purpose cannot be thwarted. There are things that can seemingly hinder us, but even those hindrances can become tools in God's hands. When Paul is forced out of the synagogue, God uses it to, to bring glory to his name. When, when these exorcists fail miserably, God uses it to, to magnify the, the glory of his son. And therefore, we can humbly serve our king, doing what he gives us to do, knowing that however we can flaunt our efforts, He will accomplish His purposes. He will continue to do what He has promised to do until He brings the good work to full completion. And because we serve a King whose purposes are never frustrated, that is one reason that we call this good news. Do you believe that? Amen. Let's believe it together. Father God, we thank You. We thank You for this grace. We thank You for this Gospel. And we pray, Father, that You would, even now, open our eyes to, to see it, open our hearts to believe it, uh, give us grace to rest in it, that we might work out of it to the praise of Your glory. Even, Father, when circumstances are not what we would prefer, but, Father, that You may do what You alone can do and bring glory to the name of Your Son. We pray in Jesus' name and for His name's sake.